Good morning. Glad to be with you again this week. I didn't know the shoulder, the shoulder blade still, things were acting up, but it's better this morning. But if I shake your hand with my left hand, it's not an insult. It's just protecting this a little bit longer. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn in Acts chapter 6. This is what we're going to begin doing. One of the things that I have been asked to do as your transitional pastor is to assist you in the process of doing what you say your Constitution bylaws require, and that is for deacons. Now, you look around here, you may be a guest here, you may be visiting, and and, uh, just assume everything goes along good, but for some time now, this church has not had an active deacon. There's none in the church actively chosen by the church, anointed by the Spirit in order to serve you. So we're going to take the next four weeks. We're going to start here in Acts 6, the next two weeks. Even though next week is, is a Labor Day weekend, you can go online if you're going to go away. You can listen to the message. We're going to deal with uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 of the character traits of those who are men uh, of service, those who are deacons. We're going to look at that. And inside your bulletin today, you also receive something you have in your bylaws, and that is a, a deacon covenant that those who serve sign off on. Understand this. In your process of redoing your constitution and bylaws, this covenant will probably be adjusted some. That is, there are things in there that you do not practice right now. The beauty of bylaws, they're not the constitution. Constitution should be very difficult to change. Bylaws deal with how you function as a church. And so those bylaws are going to be adjusted to come in line with how you, as a local body of believers, deal with with functioning as a body of believers. So we're going to, there's some verses of scripture on there in the deacon covenant, which are very good for deacons to have. So four weeks away, three weeks from now, we're going to deal that fourth week with those passages of scripture. One of them is found in Romans chapter 14, and that deals with the principle of deference. One of them is in 1 Corinthians. It's going to deal with the fact that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, all right? So there are a lot of men I have met here uh, in, in my few weeks of being here with you that appear to be very godly men. But understand this, as we look in scriptures, your pastor does not choose who the deacons are. You do. You do. And, and we're going to do that. So four weeks of preaching, I'm going to give you then two weeks to fast and pray. We're going to give you the list of the men who are members of the church. You then will go through that list and make a recommendation of three men each. According to your bylaws, you should have one deacon for every ten families that you have in the church, resident families. That means you would have nine men serving. That's what your bylaws call for. All right? 
So, so I'm giving this to you up front so you know where we're going with this process, all right? Are you with me? Okay. I don't know why you haven't had active deacons. The Scripture talks about them. In fact, Jesus said this in the Gospel of Mark. If we were still going through Mark, we'd eventually get there. In chapter 10, verse 45, when Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and offer his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, and uh, down in verse 11, it says, in, in the New King James Version, it says, um, Do not be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, which, which is greater among you, he who sits at meat or he who serves? It is not he who sits at meat, yet I am among you as he who serves. In the book of Philippians, it says this in chapter 2, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. All right? And so in this process, let's understand this. Every one of us are to serve one another. I am in this to serve you. You are in this to serve one another. We are here to be servants one of another. Spiritual gift, service. There are many types of service. Romans chapter 12 talks about, but there's the same spirit who gives that gift, that administration of that service, that ministry of that service. But there are men, and there are reasons why men were chosen. So let me, let me just begin as we go through the book of Acts. You, you, you know, I, I can't just start in Acts chapter 6, right? If you've been around here, you know I can't just start there. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens before then. Jesus had walked the earth. He had risen from the dead. He had walked the earth for another 40 days with his disciples. He was teaching them about the kingdom. He was telling them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, about the, the Great Commission. When my spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And while he was talking to them, he was whisked away into the clouds. Now the scripture shows in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he was seen in his resurrected form by more than 500 people at one time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Isn't that awesome? Over 500 people saw him before he ascended. After he ascends, the disciples are looking up in the clouds just watching this. I think I would be too. The angels standing by him say, why are you gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus who has left will come again just like he's gone. In other words, he's going to come in the clouds, go back to Jerusalem, and wait for the promise of the Father. So they go back into the upper room. There are about 120 of them, the men, the women. They're gathered together. They're praying. They're seeking God's face. They're reading Scripture. Peter comes across at the end of chapter 1. He comes across the psalm that talks about the one that had fallen away and interprets that as Judas and how another should take his place. And so they begin the process as the early church, Jesus is ascended. He's not there. What do we do? He reads scripture. Judas is gone. Somehow he has to be replaced. Well, it ought to be somebody who's been with us the entire time. 
that we've walked with Jesus, saw him crucified, saw him resurrected, they came up with two men. Justice, uh, uh, Barsabas, uh, and, and also Matthias. And then they prayed together. <laughs> they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. You know who you have chosen to fill Judas' slot. And so what'd they do? They cast lots. Proverbs chapter 16 says, the lot is cast in the lap, but the Lord has the ever disposing thereof. Chapter 18 talks about the lot. The process was, maybe they had two pieces of paper, maybe they had two blank rocks, maybe they had a black rock and a white rock, and, and justice was black and the other was white. All right, somehow, there were in a bag, there was in a place, they prayed, they said, God, you choose, you know the heart, you know who you want. Can you imagine the faith that took? to function that way? Because it doesn't matter what your leadership structure is, bottom line, function corrupts form. Function is by faith. Not faith in the leadership, faith in God that he's going to work through whatever the leadership is. I'm going to say that again. It doesn't matter what a local body of believers chosen form of leadership is, what matters is the function. Are we trusting God by faith to work through that leadership? Whether that's congregational rule, form of government, where we vote. I still have to trust God to work through the majority, don't I? Trust him by faith. Isn't that right? Absolutely that's right. If it were an elder-led form of church government, I have to trust God to work through that group of men. By faith. So it doesn't matter whether the form is elders or whether the form is congregational rule. That's not the matter. The matter is, the function is, do I trust God to work through this process? They did. Matthias' name was pulled out of the hat, so to speak. He filled this slot. We're never told anything else about him. But they did what they thought they were supposed to do at that moment. And so then they go on. <laughs> the day of Pentecost comes. Ten days later, there's 120. What happened to the 500? What happened to the other 380? I would like to know that. I would like to know if 500 saw him in his resurrected form, why only 120? You know, 120 seeing 3,000 come to faith in Christ is pretty awesome, isn't it? And so they are praying on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes upon them. They are filled with the Spirit. They get out of the upper room. Here they are behind closed doors, been afraid. They've been praying a 10-day prayer meeting. The Spirit fills them. They go out in the streets, all Galileans. At that time, in chapter 2, what we find is the, the known world at that time has come in for a feast, the, the, uh, the Feast of Pentecost. And they are in Jerusalem. And the streets are full of people speaking all different types of languages. Hellenistic, Hebrews, Mesopotamians, all kinds of people. And these 120 Galileans go out in the streets. They start talking about the wonderful works of God. And everybody hears it in their native dialect. An awesome miracle of God, of what he did. 
that day, 3,000 who heard the word, conviction came upon their heart. Understand this. At that day, there were over 600,000, so 3,000 compared to 600,000 may not seem like that much. But 3,000 saying, men and brethren, what must we do? Because they were quickened at their heart. Conviction was taking place. And Peter, having been preaching to them, says, you need to repent. You need to be baptized in the name of the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You need, you need to be baptized, and you need to receive the Spirit which is promised to you. Those who gladly received the word were immediately baptized, and 3,000 souls were added. Now, there were 500. Now there's 3,000 more, right? We go into chapter 3. Peter and John come to the temple. When they come to the temple, what happens? There's a beggar sitting out on the stairs. And he's pleading, alms, alms, alms. Peter comes up to him and says, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have in the name of Jesus we give to you. Grabs his hand and says, rise and walk. He gets up. His lame legs from from birth are rejoicing. He's jumping up and down. He's leaping. He grabs a hold of Peter and John. He runs into the temple They are all wondering what's going on. Peter takes advantage and preaches again. And now the number rises to 5,000 men plus the women and the children. And we go through and and we see that they're beaten and and they're, they're, they're chastened and they're released again and they come back and they pray and they just say, God, Fill us with boldness that we might speak your word. The Spirit of God fills them with boldness. They proclaim the word. More are being multiplied, the Scripture says, to the body. And so here's what's happening. When we get to chapter 6, there are thousands. We don't have thousands in here this morning. There are thousands upon thousands. Some of them are Greek-speaking, some from Antioch. They have been proselyte Jews. They are there for the celebration. They are gathering together. The Jews had something that they did. They had two systems of helping widows. Now, we know James chapter 1, at the end of it, says, verse 26, this pure and undefiled religion before God and man is to minister to or visit widows and orphans at their time of need. That is, you take care of the need. So the Jews, they would, in their synagogue, they would have something that they would have. One day a week, the widows would come, and they would give them enough food for 14 meals for the week. That's two meals a day for seven days. And for those who weren't part of their number but the stranger in the land, They would have a daily giving out of some alms to them for them to have need. Taking care of the widows was important. So the first believers had come out of Judaism. That was a part of their life. And so the church was taking care of the widows. Paul later writes Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and talks about 
they need to be a widow indeed. If they're a young widow, they need to remarry, raise children. But if they're of the age of 65, a widow, they need to be taken under the care of the church. They're giving their life totally to God. They're to be taken care of. And so it progressed as the church progressed. But in this process, here's the early church again, chapter 6. This is what happened. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, all those days I was talking about, the bodies being increased constantly, when the disciples were increasing in number, a, what's that word? What's that word? What's that word? Nobody ever has complaints, do they? The Greek word is very funny. But it's a murmuring. It's a it's a complaint. The this were the Hellenistic Jews, that is the Greek speaking Jews, they used the Septuagint version of the Old Testament scriptures. That is the Greek version because they didn't speak Hebrew. The Hebrews had the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, these are the believers. They're gathering together in in different homes, in different areas, in the temple, from house to house, as the Scripture says. All of this process is going on, and the Greeks are saying, the Hebrews aren't taking care of our widows like they're taking care of their widows. Now, church would never have a problem like that, would they? No one in a church would ever complain. Understand this. What we've already had in the book of Acts was the fact that the religious crowd, the Jews, Judaism, they wanted to kill Peter and John. They wanted to get rid of this church. One of their religious leaders Gamaliel said, oh, oh, time out. Let's talk about this. Remember when this happened and when this happened? If, you know, if, if, if we leave this alone and it's not of God, it will just die out. But if we step in here and God is really doing something, we might find ourselves fighting against God. And so God stepped in through one of their own to stop them. They beat them, they scold them, they tell them not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. They go out, they start preaching in the name of Jesus. And so they've they've had the conflict from without. Now they start having conflict from within. And so here it is, among the believers, they they are complaining by the Hellenists, arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, And so here's the twelve. We say twelve, not because Judas is with them, because now Matthias is with them. So the twelve, they summon these thousands to come together. Sound like a business meeting? No, not really, because you stay home when it's a business meeting, don't you? Ouch. It's it's the family of God. There's a need 
here. And, and, and so they call them together. They come together, and this is what they say to them. Notice what it says, verse 2. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right. The, the, the Greek there is, it will not please God. It's not right. It would not please God that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It would not please God if we, the witnesses of his resurrection, of having walked with him through his entire ministry, the priority of Jesus, we just going through the Gospel of Mark, just finishing chapter 1, remember after his praying over the night of casting out so many demons and seeing so many people healed, he slips out, he prays, Peter, Andrew, James, John, they come out, they find him, they said, everybody's looking for you, let's Jesus said, let's go to the next town. Let's go to the next villages that I might proclaim the gospel there because Jesus had a priority. But the gospel needed to be declared. Now, it wasn't that the 12 weren't servants because the word that is chosen is diakone, the word that's used for deacon, the word that's used for serving. To wait at tables. It's not right for us to leave the preaching of the gospel in order to wait at tables, to serve at tables. Now, now the word chosen for tables there that's written is a word that means here's a table. There's people sitting on both sides. The meal is presented to them. They eat the meal. But it also can be used. Here is where the money changers are out in the outer court of the temple. And here, here is where the money is dispensed to those widows on a daily basis so that they will have the money. So what they're saying, it's not right for us, us 12, it's not, it would not be pleasing to God for us to stop proclaiming the gospel to take care of this need. They weren't playing down the need. They were saying, there's a priority. Pastor Mike can run himself ragged doing everything for you. That's not right. He's a God-called pastor to proclaim the gospel, to be out doing those things. And I didn't ask him permission to say that. That doesn't mean he's not serving. That doesn't mean I don't serve. We are fellow servants. Jesus came to serve. We come to serve. But there are priorities of the gospel being sent out. A local church that leaves everything up to its pastors to take care of the needs of all the people is sinning. If it's not pleasing to God, to do it that way would be sinning, right? Is my reasoning off? The body knows there's a problem. Here's what they say. Here's how they handle this. 
And there's thousands out here that this, it's not just third and fourth grade and fifth and sixth grade Sunday school teachers. Hello. Here this is. It is not right. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out. It's an imperative. It is a present middle imperative. It's a middle voice. You, yourselves, reflectively, you, the command is you, choose from among you. You select these individuals. These are individuals who are of a good report. That is, they have a good reputation. Not only a good reputation among all the believers, the word is the word that's used for witness. There's a good witness about them in business. This person is faithful. This person pays his bills. This person does not cheat, does not lie, does not steal. This person has a good report about him. The apostles didn't choose these seven. They said, you look among yourself, and then you as a congregation, congregationalism, you as a congregation look among yourselves, you find seven men of a good report, full of the Spirit, right? They, that is, you can tell, full of the Holy Spirit. This person is, is hagias. He, he is holy. He walks in holiness, in rightness, according to God's Word. And it is visible. Other people can see he walks under the power of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is in his life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I mean, so far it doesn't seem to be complicated. But you have to know one another to even know what guys are like that. Right? So a church that only gathers in here on Sunday cannot really know one another because you're listening to this guy flap his lips right you're not getting to know one another in here there are places you need to get together outside here they were eating with one another in their homes they were studying the word of God together in their homes they were getting to know each other. And so they, how did thousands come together to choose seven, and yet they were to be full of the Holy Spirit, they were to be of a good report, they were to be full of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, I think it's down in verse 12, says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord and holy reverence of God. But this individual walks with God. 
They are filled with wisdom from His Word. Proverbs chapter 8 talks about wisdom. Or chapter 9 talks about wisdom crying out to us. Wisdom is seeing life through the lens of God's Word. And if I don't know God's Word, how can I be wise according to God's Word? I've got to take His Word in. I have to chew on it. It, it. it starts out like the living water. Comes into the milk of the Word. The bread of life. The bread of the Word. And as I chew on it and meditate on it, it turns into bacteria and becomes the meat of the Word. Hebrews chapter 5 talks about. He says, I, I wanted to talk to you about the meatier things of God's Word, but I have to give you the milk all over. You're just like babes in Christ. His word. In other words, these men, they know, they had the Old Testament scriptures. But understand, if they came from Judaism and teaching already, they had come through the synagogue in their education process. By age 12, they had basically the Old Testament memorized. They knew the word. They were being taught to interact life according to the Word of God. Sounds a whole lot like discipleship. That we know God's Word, we know how do I apply this to my life? How do I live this out? Because discipleship in the Great Commission, when it says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to do all that I commanded you to do. In other words, to obey my commands. I've got to know God's word. I've got to be able to apply it to my life. I've got to make my decisions based upon his word, not what I feel like in the day. This, this is a, this is deep teaching if you get into this. It's deep from the standpoint, I don't want surface relationships. I don't want surface Christianity. It's not about me. It's about Christ and those he came to die for. It's about those who are not yet among us. Surely, if anyone ought to know God's word and know how to apply it to a situation of widows needing to be fairly cared for between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews, the church ought to be able to take care of that issue, right? I mean, it makes sense. If they're full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, if they've got a good report, Choose these, choose these men. And so they choose some men. This is who it is. Therefore, the brothers pick out from among yourselves seven men of good re repute, full, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. In other words, I'm not going to go through the list and say, what were they thinking about this guy? They didn't do that. They said, you choose, here's the qualifications, you bring them to us, 
We're going to appoint them to this so that we can do what God has called us to do. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry. There's the word for deacon again, ministry of the word. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. Why was he first? Well, chapter 7 is going to jump in on Stephen and his martyrdom. He was an apologist. And then it's going to talk about Philip. Well, he was an evangelist. And he was in Samaria when the gospel went to the Samaritans. And, and then he was taken down to the desert road for one person, an Ethiopian eunuch. The gospel going to Africa. I mean, these, were, these weren't just deacons counting out money for widows to have food. These were guys living out, serving, sharing the gospel of Jesus with people. The others, we really don't know anything else about, but I'm assuming they filled the process. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip and Prochorus and uh, Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. By the way, you know where Paul went to and did all his missionary journeys out of, right? The Antioch church when the gospel went to the Gentiles up there. And so here's the process. These they set before the apostles. And the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. I'm assuming the widows got their food. This is what verse 7 says. And the word of God continued to increase. Nothing stops evangelism faster than us starting to talk about all the needs that have to take place here. And so the pastors and the individuals gifted by the Spirit of God and should be practicing even at Timothy Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. It meant he was an evangelist, but he was to do the work. All of us are to do the work of evangelists. When we look inwardly, we look on ourselves, we look at things that may be falling apart here, we quit looking outside. Some of you have even said, and I, I, if, if you're a guest here, please, please just know, I'm an interim. I can say this and walk away. Some have said, I can't invite anybody. Really? What that tells me is I'm looking at a problem not Christ, not Christ, not what he can do, not what he will do, not what he can overcome as he overcome the sin in my life, as he forgave me of my sin, removed it from me as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my transgressions from me, casting it into the depths of the sea, never to remember it again. That's good news. That's great news. 
And I can invite somebody to come to Jesus. And I ought to be doing that. And I ought to be exercising the love and the care and the ministry and the serving one another in the fear of the Lord. I hope you still love me. What's it say there, verse 7? The word of God continued to increase. The need was met. The pastors didn't get sidetracked with what had to take care be taken care of. The people took care of it. The pastors, the apostles, laid hands on them, prayed for them, take care of it. And they went back to giving witness to the resurrection of Jesus and what he can do in their lives. And, and the word of God, as it says, continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly, way over the top. The problem didn't stall them out because by faith they trusted God to work through their leadership to tell them what to do. They did it. The problem got taken care of. The word of God increased greatly. The disciples were multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the great many of the now who was this wanting to put them to death the priest but God had raised up Gamaliel remember and said be careful if it's not of God it's going to die out and he gave him two examples if it is of God and you find yourself fighting with God you can't win all of a sudden this happens they're looking on from the outside they're seeing this church with this massive grumbling and murmuring that's going on within itself, resolve the issue themselves, they continue to grow, and the priest outside saying, whoa, I've got religion, but we don't have that. I need to listen to this, and so a great many of the priests became, what's that word? Obedient to the faith. You do know being a Christian is to be obedient to God's word, right? It's not asking Jesus into your heart. You don't find that phrase in Scripture anywhere. You don't. I don't know where evangelism came in saying, just ask Jesus into your heart. No. That's not in Scripture. What's in Scripture is we make disciples. We baptize them. We teach them to obey. I can't teach somebody to obey something I'm not obeying. And so the part of discipleship that transforms lives and ultimately a community is when you and I get so serious about God that we're asking him to do such an awesome work in my life that my wife doesn't even recognize me, but she likes what she sees. And then a husband doesn't really know what's happening in his wife, but he likes what he sees. That parents see what's happening in their kids, and they don't know what's taking place, but they like what they see. And the children see what's happened in their parents, and 
That's not dad. That's not mom. But I like what I see. And my neighbors look in on my life. And those in business look in on my life. And they say, I don't know what's happened to you. So Peter writes, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Always being ready to give an account of the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect. The lost world, when we find ourselves walking in obedience to God's word, the lost world will look in. The religious world that's lost. You do know the religious world is lost, right? If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm not a part of the religious world. I'm a part of his family. Right? And so the religious world looks in and says, religion hasn't done anything for me. And they become obedient to the faith. When I look at this on the screen, in my Bible, whatever translation I want to look at it from, I can't get away from the fact that if we do things the way God's Word says to do them, we get the results God says are going to take place. And so I say to us, church, don't you think it's time that whatever the reason was to cease to have deacons, we get the matter serious. It was chosen. The more the church expanded and grew in Ephesus when Paul was writing Timothy, when we get next week, and Paul was writing Timothy, had left him in Ephesus. The church had been grown there and it was established, and individuals were wanting to be pastors, they were wanting to be bishops, they were wanting to be elders, and, and it was given guidelines for those, and it, it throws it in there. And by the way, the deacons, it throws it in here. This is a progressed church that reached the place that they had some problems, and deacons had to be chosen. Titus chapter 2 talks about the elders, talks about the leadership, but it never talked about deacons anywhere. On the island of Crete where Titus went, things hadn't been done yet. Paul sent him there to put in place the things that have yet to be done. And they weren't grown to the place yet where deacons were needed. This church needed deacons. If there's problems, the church needs God's believers. That's men of a good reputation. John MacArthur says, instead of the three, he says the five. He says the men, as opposed to five. The men, they're from among you. In other words, you don't look outside and bring somebody else in to solve the problem. You have the giftedness from God to do that. And then they've got the good reputation of the spirit but full of wisdom this is where we begin it's not the end because you see behind everything as i've said it's the expansion of the gospel it's the kingdom going forward 
It's, it's believers being multiplied, even those that are just religious, finding the truth and the faith and coming to God, and his kingdom expands and lives are transformed, resulting in an entire community being transformed. Wouldn't you like Branson to be totally transformed by the grace of God? In your home, wherever it is, you come from. When you go away from here, next time you're in your church and it comes time to look at deacons, look at this passage again. Take it seriously. The Spirit of God didn't have Dr. Luke write this to fill up some empty space on a page. The Spirit of God had it written because we need to live by it. Father, as we bow our hearts together, as we move through this process, and hopefully, God, uh, we, we will find that uh, in, in this process, we will find faithful men from among ourselves being, being selected by ourselves, full of wisdom, full of the spirit, of a good reputation. And that if they're chosen and they're appointed to this, that they be willing to serve. Not to, we're, we're not talking about being the leaders, we're talking about being the servants. So that we whom you've called to lead, can lead the gospel, that you might be glorified, you might be honored. Father, touch our hearts. Do your work in our lives. There, there may be somebody here today that's just thought about, they've been visiting, and they're thinking, and the things that they hear, they're just saying, this is a church I want to be a part of. I think this is what God wants me to be a part of. This is what God wants me to invest my life, to be a part of this body of believers called Skyline Baptist Church. Father, would you give them the courage when we stand in a moment to slip out from where they are and just come let us know that? Father, it might be that there's someone else that thinks, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want in. I want to give my life to Jesus. I need my sins forgiven. I do believe Jesus died to forgive sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. As best I know how, I give you my life, my past, my present, my future. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to walk in obedience to you. I, I want to learn what that means. God, would you give those individuals courage to slip out from where they are in a moment? Come kneel at the altar. Just say that to you. Come talk to us. Just say it to us. We might talk with them more. Guide them in the direction through your word. We want you to receive all the glory and honor. And Father, for all of us who are members of Skyline, God, may we begin to take texts like this serious as we form our ecclesiology, the, the function of the church here. But the bottom line is 
we're going to trust these men by faith. We're going to trust you, God, by faith to work through these men to take care of those types of issues that might arise here. That we, as pastors, continue to call, might lead the charge in advancing the gospel. Father, you receive the glory. You receive the honor. Jesus, be lifted high and draw men to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. If you need to come, come now.